Luke chapter 22. This is the parallel passage of Matthew 26. And I wanted to read this for us so that we have that parallel passage context. It's a little shorter than Luke 26. But Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 39. And he came out and proceeded, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples also followed him. And when he arrived at, that, at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but thine be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow and said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so the question is, are we sleeping? Are you asleep today? And what do I mean by that? Well, the question then is, do you pray? Do you pray fervently? Do you believe in prayer? And I mean that seriously. Do you believe in, in prayer? And here's, here's kind of the, the, the checkup, right? You, we, we take our cars in. We go to Jiffy Lube. And they do the little point checks, right? Just for our oil change to make sure everything's lubed up and okay. But where, where's our checkpoint for our belief in prayer? Well, do you do it? Um, do you do it daily? Do you do it always without ceasing? Uh, do you ask? Do you confess? Do you give thanks to God? Is this a pattern of your prayer? The early church made prayer a, a, a part of their, their regular habit. In Acts, 20, in Acts 2, verse 42, it says, They continuously devoted themselves to prayer. Those are two powerful words, right? Continually, never ends. Devotion to what? To prayer. Or have we just gotten to the point where we're just pragmatic in our prayers? We, we don't really get what we want anyway. And, and so, you know, or, or you know, we, we've heard no too many times. And we're okay. Hey, we're okay with what God gives us. So, you know, we're just going to, you know, live and not bother God with our, our problems. We were just pragmatic about it. Um, finally, do, do, you, do you walk in relationship with God in your prayer life? If, if, if your marriage, right, was, was like your relationship with God, would, would it make it? Or would it, you be found guilty of, of abandonment? So, we want to be in, in constant conversation. We want to be in constant relationship with God. I, I've mentioned before that, you know, in the movie Fiddler on the Roof or the play, you know, you've, you've got this character who's, who's just constantly walking and, and talking with God. 
And, and maybe because it's a movie, you know, it, it even comes off as irreverent at times. But the idea that there's a belief in an almighty and that that belief makes him yield himself to God in conversation, even in questioning, even in challenging. But there's a definite belief, there's a definite relationship that's there. And so, here at Ravensdale Bible Church, uh, we, we want to follow Jesus, right? Individually, we want to be like Christ. Well, Jesus modeled an, an individual relationship and an individual pattern of prayer. And as a church, we want to model that as well. And so we want to get better. We want to get better individually, and we want to get better collectively also. And so we want to look at this. We want to study it, and, we, and there's nowhere we can go better than to look at uh, Jesus and his pattern. So today, we want to understand what prayer is. We want to understand what prayer is. And, and the essential uh, char- characteristic of our, faith, of our faith we find in prayer And so there's six keys um, to prayer modeled by Jesus that we're going to see. The first one is just knowing what prayer is. The second one is knowing what our motives for prayer are. Uh, Third is knowing what what are some methods for prayer. Fourth, knowing what are characteristics of prayer. Fifth, knowing when we should pray. And then sixth, knowing what we should pray for. So if you haven't already, turn back to Matthew 26, uh, beginning at verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and, his, and said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them fell on his face and prayed saying, my father. So let's, let's stop there. First of all, as a, as a background reminder, and we've been going over this for the past few weeks because of Easter, but we remember where we are in the setting. The, the triumphal entry has already taken place. Jesus has, has sat down with the disciples and, and transitioned Passover into communion you think this is going to be the high point of Jesus's ministry, right? He, he came in as king. He is now replacing Passover. It's like, wow, what's next? Well, the expectation is the conquering of Rome, right? He's going to be king. And what takes place next? Well, Jesus knows what's going to take place next. And so he goes into the garden, into deep prayers. We saw in Luke, as was his pattern and habit. Why? Because he knows he's getting ready to face not only death, but but torture, physical torture, and, and, and verbal abuse unlike anything ever seen before. So what does he do? What would you do? What would you do if, if you were in this situation? Well, that's what we want to look at. And so the first key to praying is knowing what prayer is. And at its most basic, fundamental point, my father, it's going directly and talking to God. It, it's talking to God. It's speaking with God. And in Psalm 4, 3, it says, you know, he hears when I call. 
So, so we, we get to call out, and our God, He hears. It's a beautiful thing. Now, remember, in all the, the false religions that we've seen in the history of, you know, of, of humanity, you've got something made of wood, you've got something made of stone, you've got mountains, you've got suns, you've got all these different things that people pray to, right? They do not hear. They are not alive. They can't listen. You're praying to a wall. You're praying to a rock. But not with our God. With our God, prayer is at its most fundamental base, this relationship of being able to talk. And what kind of relationship? My Father. Prayer is talking to your Father. As a position, this is in the patriarch of family. This is the Father and you're not. Right? You may be the daughter, you may be the son, you're the child, you're not the father. And so understanding your position in that relationship then um, is important because then it gives you an opportunity to demonstrate your trust in the father, your trust in the almighty God of the universe. Okay, you believe in a creator of, of the universe. But do you have relationship with him? Do you speak to him? Is he your father? Right? That's a a, a big, big difference. It's an awesome privilege. It's a privilege to be able to to go before the throne of God. Remember, not so long ago, you, you had the temple. You had the Holy of Holies where, you know, there was a separation. There was a veil between God and man, Right? And there was a mediator and you would have to go through the high priest in order to get to God. That's an unbelievable, beautiful thing to have the veil torn. You have direct access. Unbelievable, beautiful thing. And so prayer is then that intimate, parental even, conversation with God. And we see Jesus himself modeling this. Jesus goes before God and says, my father. Now, remember who Jesus is, right? Jesus has performed some miracles. There are some things that he could do to defend himself, protect himself. He knows what's going to happen. He could just leave, right? But he, understanding the situation, goes to his father, communicates with his father, talks to his God. Well, the second key to prayer is knowing what are the the motives or the reasons for prayer. What are the motives and reasons for prayer? What are your motives and reasons for prayer? Do they begin with, I want? That could be an indication of why you don't have a strong prayer life. And I'm guilty of that too, right? But what was Jesus' model? Again, we go back to... Uh, Matthew 26, verse 39. And he went a little, a little beyond them, fell on his face, prayed, saying, My Father, if it's possible, not dictating terms, asking, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Again, we know what the cup is. We're even going to celebrate the cup, which is represent, representative of his death, of his <laughs> sacrifice, of his spilling of his blood. Right? This is a powerful pregnant statement here. But he says, if possible, let this cup pass me yet, yet, not as I will, but as thou wilt. His motive isn't self-motivated. It's, it's 
what is your will, God? What is your desire? What is your plan? What is your reasons? And so we need to learn how to line up our, our desires with God's desires. And so when we ask, what is the key to praying? It's well, knowing what our motive or reason is. And that motive or reason is to match up with God. Not to just simply ask a laundry list like God is, you know, cosmic Santa Claus. Right? That's not what, what prayer is. It doesn't mean that we're not able and allowed to ask things. Don't, don't misquote me. But that's not the, the heart of what prayer is. And so we see this desire of Jesus to, to line up with, with God's will. And so prayer reflects this, again, this great dependence on, on God and what God wants and what God's desire is and what God's plan is. See, as, as I'm trying to communicate with my son and he's trying to understand why is this happening? See, the, the, the thing that, that's difficult is in his mind, he can only think of why is this happening to me, right? We've got to move him to what's the Lord's plan here? What's God's desire? What does God know and what can he see beyond today that you can't see? And so it's important for him that then when he goes before the throne of God, not to just simply ask, God, heal me. That's not a, a, a right motive. Um, the right motive is God. What, what is Thy will? What, what can I learn from this? How can I grow? And and even to the point of being reminded that at 21 years old, when you can outrun everybody in the room and you know lift things better than we can lift and mow lawns all day without you know hurting your back, who's he dependent on? Himself or? His God. And so that becomes a, an important part of knowing what our motive is. One of the motives we see here in verse 41. Jesus brings some guys with us, right? Hey, come pray with me. What are they going to pray? That Jesus doesn't, you know, offer himself? They don't even know that that's going to happen. What are they going to pray? What, what does Jesus say? Keep watching and praying. Why? That you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing. We, we, we want to do the right thing. We, we don't want to sin. We want to follow God. We want to follow Jesus. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, the flesh is, so, flesh is so weak. And so a great reason for knowing what our motives are. One of our motives and a great motive is, is that we don't fall into temptation. We don't sin. That, that's a good motive. And again, gut check time. When was the last time your motive for going before the throne of God was to avoid temptation? Um, are, are, are we doing that? Well, in temptation, in sin, what happens then is, is we break relationship. We break relationship with God. That usually makes us want to run away. It makes us want to hide. makes us want to cover. Right? And so part of this, this motive then is to restore our relationship with God. To, to mend it. To stay connected with God. And it's so hard, right? The more, the more you sin, again, it, we, we see this in real life. When husband and wife are, are, are arguing, 
What, what do they want to do immediately? Just make up right away, right? Then you argue more. You double down. Silent treatment. Lee, right? All these are create more distance, more distance, more arguments, more arguments. And, and so it's with something real small and silly becomes this blown up thing out of proportion. That's what sin does. And so a motive for prayer, a great motive and reason is to maintain relationship with God when we are in temptation and sin. Stay connected with God. Stay connected. Well, a third key to prayer then is knowing what some of the, the methods are. Some of the methods of prayer. And I, and I don't mean by methods, I don't mean like here are the, you know, here, here are specific steps, right? We see this in religiosity. Uh, we, we don't want to just walk out thinking, all I have to do is, you know, say a, a, a certain prayer and say that prayer over and over and over again. Hey, say it 5,000 times and it'll come true, right? We, we, we've seen that pattern. We've also seen the pattern of where prayers become just a, a you know, kind of a formula. Uh, Matthew 6, you know, we see the Lord's Prayer and you see a, a nice pattern of, of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, which is fine, but we don't want to be, you know, um, sterile about it. This is a relationship. And so what are some, some methods? I'm talking about attitudes, attitudes not steps. Well, again, we go back to Jesus. Um, verse 38. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face. And prayed, saying, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, yet not as I will, but as thou will. When you think of methods, um, again, we don't want to just, just say, look, if, if you go on your knees, then God will hear you. If, if you want to step it up a notch, then go on your face. Now God will really listen and, and, and listen to you. No, it's It's internal. Look at these words here. There's, there's a deep grieving. This is emotional. And, and what's happening is, is Jesus is, is, is raw. He's, he's real. He's vulnerable. That's why I, I, I love the, the, the Luke 22 account where it, it, it gives a, a little bit more insight into the, the emotions of it, right? We, we, sometimes we, we don't like emotions, but we see Jesus here very emotional. Jesus is just not walking up to God in the prayer garden and say, okay, um, here's my prayer list and we got to pray for this and this and just kind of, right? No. In agony, verse 44, Luke 22, 44, in agony, he was praying very, not very fervently. Is that, I don't even understand what that means. Fervently isn't enough, right? If you say fervently do something, isn't that like pretty intense already? No, no. Very fervently. Do you very fervently pray? And then his sweat became like, like drops of blood falling down on the ground. And so you, you, you go back to Matthew 26 
And you match that up with this idea of being grieved and, and deeply grieved and distressed. And I want to be careful here because we, we wouldn't want to impose anything on Jesus that isn't real. But when we think of panicking, when we think of getting to a point of anxiety, right, that is, that is beyond the point of what we can handle, uh, we know that Jesus does not sin. We know that he is perfect. But at this point, boy, he is in a great point of distress to the point where he's sweating and his sweat is like, like drops of blood. Do we get to these points where, where we feel like we can't breathe because our, our heart is, feels like it's, it's got a hand gripping over it? Are we in agony? Are we in distress? Now, here's the thing. We, 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 don't, we don't try to get away from that in order to be right before the Lord in holiness. Right? I'm going to get over that emotional feeling and then I can come before the Lord in reverence. No, you take that to Him. You see the difference? That, that, that's, the, that's the method. The method is the attitude. And then what I love and we see pattern after pattern in, in, in throughout the scriptures is we see a confidence that while I am anxious, while I am deeply grieved, I believe. I've mentioned to you this before that the greatest study I, I've ever done was I wanted to, to have a better prayer life. And you talk about doctrine or theology, the, the best systematic study I ever did was I just turned to page one in Genesis and just started reading and reading the life, real lives, real prayers, and how the men of God and the women of God approach the throne of grace. And you know what? There, there is no one pattern of ABC. There isn't one way of on your knees, on your face, standing up, hands up, hands down, hands behind your back. There's eyes open, eyes closed. You know what? You go before the throne. That's the method. And you go with confidence. Remember what faith is? The assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1, 1, have some faith in your prayer that God can answer. Pray with, with, what's a method? Pray with humility, knowing as Jesus displayed, knowing my Father, that, that's a humble position right there, but not as I will, but as thou will. I, I'm, I'm here, I'm a child, I'm a servant. I, I'm under the authority of the Almighty. Not my will, but that will. There's, there's a humility there. The humility is displayed by being on your knees or face down. The reverence. But it comes from, from, from within. It's selfless. You see a lot of prayers throughout the scriptures praying for others. Men praying for the entire nation of Israel. Entire, we, we saw Paul a few months ago. If I could, if, if I could be accursed, I, I would do so for my brethren. Um, don't complain about our, our country. Don't complain about our government. Don't complain about our politicians. Pray for them. 
fervently pray for them. The ones that, you know, boil you more, top of, the, of your prayer list. See, I'm dead serious, you guys. This is a beautiful thing in the Bible. Do you know how many bad, wicked, evil kings, pharaohs, leaders there are that God placed? I want you to think about that. That God placed. It was what you meant for evil, God meant for good kind of a deal, right? Figuratively and literally, because that's Joseph and not only his brothers, but also the Pharaoh. Pray for others. Well, the fourth key to prayer is knowing what are the characteristics of prayer. Some characteristics. Again, we see Jesus went to a quiet place. He went to a quiet place. Um, He went with disciples. Some more closer than others. But again, prayers are, 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 have these certain characteristics. I already mentioned uh, humility. There's an honesty in prayers. There's, that was one of the most amazing things that I discovered as I was studying individual prayers was there's this like real honesty. And in Ezekiel, you know, God is going to punish Israel and, uh, and judge them for the sins that they've committed. I'm talking about horrific sins of following other gods, Right? And, you know, you get like these, these guys praying. It's like, really? You're really going to destroy them, God? It's like, maybe at that point, I'm not going to be on the side of these guys because they're getting ready to be destroyed. And you've got a man of God over here praying, go, God, really? You're really going to kill them? Yeah, it's, it's an honest prayer. An honest prayer. Let this cut pass from me. That's a, just an honest prayer. If it's possible. If possible. Now, now think about this again. Because we've read this so many times and we've heard it so many times and we just race right on by it. But don't race right on by it. Understand what's happening. Jesus is throwing it out there. If there's another way. Look, we got along really, really well with altars. Right? Just just plain rocks and altars. Hey, we had a really nice system with the you know, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the priesthood and this whole beautiful sacrificial system. We went from tents to beautiful temples. We can save people other ways, right? Because it's all by faith. We put a staff on a snake, and if people had faith, they could look up and be saved. Let this cut pass. Not once. Not twice, three times, three times. A man going before God in his humanity, throwing it out there. You can be honest. Abraham in Genesis 18, right? Genesis 18, 25, and God is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like, look, can, can, let's make a deal here, right? Um, just honestly throwing it out there. If I can find 50 guys, 50. Okay, how about 40? How about 30? What does he get down to? 10, 1, right? It's just, just, but the beauty of the prayer is the honesty behind it, the conversation behind it. That You know what? Can I, that when we talk about God doesn't change, we're talking about he doesn't change his character, he doesn't change his attributes. Can we change God's mind in prayer? Ask Hannah. Remember, Hannah's prayer is this is a barren woman. Who made her barren? God made her barren. So what's she praying? 
Yes, she's praying for a miracle. Absolute miracle. But over here, she's praying to change God's sovereign, divine plan, right? God made her that way. God, I want you to change your mind. I would like a child. The boldness, the honesty. It's one of my, my, my favorite prayers. One of my favorite prayers. And I, and I hope to have just a shred of faith in my prayer life, of confidence. To where when you're going before the throne of God, you actually believe that, you know what, there, there can be movement. Prayers are specific. 50, 40, 10, right? Specific. Prayers are, are personal. They're private. Matthew 6. Uh, turn with me real quick to Matthew 6. We, again, this is right before the Lord's Prayer. This is the lead up to the Lord's Prayer. And, and Jesus is talking about the ways we practice you know, righteousness. It's like, look, don't go sounding off trumpets and, and, and you know, telling people in the streets, hey, everybody, I'm, I'm getting ready to give right now, right? And, 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 it, and now it's not a coincidence that it starts with that and then the very next step is prayer because Jesus is equating kind of these two different things. Verse five, and when you pray, you're not to be as the hypocrite. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have then their reward in full. But when you pray, go into the inner room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you in secret. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. And so these prayers then are, are intimate, they're specific, they're humble, they're honest. You know, one of the reasons why you go in secret is because you may be saying things that you may be confessing specific sin that's not really for others to hear. You, you, you may be having some serious questions with God that, that may come off a bit irreverent in, in front of others. Lord, I don't understand. I'm angry. I'm scared. These are things we don't like to say in front of others. You don't have to. But you say them before the throne of God. These are some characteristics that mark real prayers. Prayers recognize our position. He's the Father. We're the child. Jesus does that. My Father. This is part of the triune Godhead, right? Jesus is the God-man. He is God incarnate. And yet there's, there's position of Father and Son. It's the same with us. Same with us. Um, biblical prayers demonstrate, they demonstrate complete dependence. I love the idea in Exodus, and we read it last week, that the Israel's crying out, and they're groaning. Why? There's nowhere else to turn. Only God can save them. Only God. Does God need to bring you to that point of dependence? Maybe so. Maybe so. Biblical prayers are, are characterized by spiritual warfare. Okay, especially the more... I don't mean this literally, but hopefully you understand. The more Baptist you get, right? The less spiritual you get, okay? So, you know, we, we, we've got demons under every rock over here, 
right? Everything, all your problems are all caused by demons. No, it's you. You're a sinner and you disobey God. And you have people over here that are like, what, there's demons still? What? I thought they died down. It's like, okay, let's, let's find some balance here. Ephesians 6 is the balance. There is Satan, okay? He is a demon. He is a fallen angel. And there's myriads of those out there. And there is a spiritual battle that's taking place. We saw it in Daniel. It's like, hey, God, I was praying. Where were you? I, I've been in, we've been in battle, spiritual battle. How many times is there a spiritual battle taking place over, around, and about you? How many times is Satan walking up to God and say, um, remember the deal we made with Job? With Job? Okay, oh, I, I, I want to do that with James. Hey, there's spiritual battles that are happening. Are we recognizing those spiritual battles? Or are we just pretending like they don't exist? And so... Our offensive weapon in spiritual battles is God's word and prayer. That's what characterizes prayer. Prayers are marked with forgiveness and reality. We don't just pray whimsically. Okay, this is we're there in heart, mind, and soul. We're there, John 17 says, to line ourselves up again with the Father. Well, the fifth key to prayer is knowing when we should pray. When should we pray? Again, back to the book, Jesus. Uh, Jesus in Luke 22. And he came out and proceeded as was his custom. Again, if we, if we were talking about ourselves, would your spouse, wouldn't this be a great thing for your spouse and you know, you've just died and everybody at church is talking about you. And you know what they say? As was his custom. What? He's a goof off. He had the best lawn in the town. Or this guy was in God's word. This guy's custom of praying. Oh. Jesus made a habit if Jesus makes a habit of something, we, we may want to take notice of that. We, we may want to follow it. We're commanded, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Luke 18.1, pray always. Acts 2.42, pray daily. Um, Psalm 55.17, pray three times a day. We see this pattern in, in Jesus right here in Matthew 26. Three different times he prays the same prayer. We're called to pray on the spot. Uh, Nehemiah 2.4 says that. We're, we're pray without stopping. Is that us? I, I know I struggle with that. I struggle with that. I, there's a lot of different ways that I, I have to build into my day to almost force myself so that, because I find myself, why am I not praying? I've stopped. I don't want to stop. I want to keep going. But there's distractions. Well, the sixth key to prayer is knowing what we should pray for. What should we pray for? Well, specifically, we see here Jesus is specifically praying. Um, and, and, and he's praying specifically to let the cup pass. But he's ultimately he's praying to yield his soul to God's, to God's will. Yield your soul to God's will. But you can also pray for anything. 
And that's one of the beautiful things. Again, when you start studying specific prayers, you see prayers for a lot of different things. Uh, you see pr- a prayer of, of, you know, praying over a temple, you know, praying over the, the, the temple, um, uh, the building of it, the, the construction of it. Uh, you, you see praying for one another. Uh, you see deliverance from evil is, is something we should pray for. Pray for ministers, right? And don't just pray for the crummy politicians. Pray for your ministers as well. Um, pray that you're not led into temptation, right? Verse 41, keep watching and praying. Why? That you may not enter into temptation. Pray for the kingdom of God to come. I pray that a lot. It's like, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. This, you know, not because I want to escape earth, because I want to be in heaven. I want to be with Jesus. I'm really, I, I'm inquisitive about that. Um, we saw again in Matthew 26 in the Lord's Prayer, pray for forgiveness. Not only, you know, that others forgive you, you forgive them, Right? Because that's not always that easy. Pray for your spouse. We see that in Genesis 25, 21. Pray for help. Saw that in Daniel 6. There's a lot of different things that you can and should pray for. So what should we pray for? Pray for anything and pray that that lines up with God's will. And so the biggest takeaway is, and this is the real question, you know, Jesus He believed. He believed. Do you believe? Does does your prayer life mark this pattern at all? Um, If it were a six-point check, how many points would you check? And as you heard, a lot of the individual checkpoints have even more checkpoints. Um, How are you doing? Are you like Hannah? Do you pray for miracles? Um, What about Nehemiah? Again, one of my favorite prayers, Sennacherib, is, is this general. He's 10-0 and 0 with defeating all these other nations and countries. And all these other nations and countries are way more powerful than tiny little Israel, right? And so, you know, he sends his letter. Here I come. Two choices. Just let us come in and, well, you know, not kill everybody. Or... We will come and utterly destroy you, just like we did everybody else. It'd be it'd be like it'd be like Canada getting a letter and say, "Okay, we just we just destroyed Russia. We we just destroyed France and England. We we just destroyed America. Okay, we're gonna cross the border and we're gonna come and get you." No, I'm not putting down Canada, but and so what 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 does Nehemiah do? He gets this letter not knowing exactly what to do. And he lays it down before the the throne of God and prays over the letter. How many times do you have something? You don't know. I don't know what to do with this. It could be an eviction notice. It it can be um, a problem. You know, it it can be a text nowadays or, you know, it's like, I, I don't. This is a problem. It's beyond me. I don't, it looks hopeless. I don't know what to do. Do you confidently go before the throne of God like Nehemiah? And this is a man who would you know, sit down before the Lord, weep and mourn and 
fast and, and pray fervently. This is the type of man Nehemiah was. And so the challenge and the question is, do you believe? And if you do, then you should see fruit. I don't mean fruit of answered prayers. I mean fruit of you actively engaged in this relationship. And so the next time we meet, we'll actually look at, well, how do we hear when we pray? What does that look like? I'm praying. I'm doing all the talking. How do I engage in in communication? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, again, this great reminder, great reminder of 